Chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, read with me, would you? Paul writes, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again for this day. Thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here today. Thank you for preparing our hearts in advance, Holy Spirit, to, to hear your word, uh, to, to sing praises to you, first of all. Honor your name, your beautiful name, Lord, and to sing our praises to you and, and to tell you how much we love you and, and to come here to um, hear your word, hear the words that Paul wrote that you, Holy Spirit, inspired him to write as a pastor to churches that he planted, people that he dearly, dearly loved and cared for. And so we thank you that we get to read these letters today knowing that they weren't just words for them. They're words for us today. And so I thank you so much for that. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate these words that you've given to me from your Scripture today so that we might uh, be changed people. We might leave here today uh, people who are uh, in invested in the life that you've given to us to live and that we know that we have a great and great and mighty helper, the Holy Spirit. And so I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So I remember, I was thinking about the past a little bit this week in preparation for this, but I remember a point in time in history when things were much more black and white. And I know today that if you even mention those terms in this world today, in our culture today, it's assumed at this point that you're maybe a touch out of touch, maybe that these things are a little passe, that maybe you're a little old and you don't really, you're not up to date, up to speed on what is going on in our world because black and white just sounds so like wrong. But back in the day, back in the day, I remember growing up as a kid that there were cowboys and Indians. I mean, it was, it was clear. It was like, now I, I know that today that's almost, I mean, there are baseball and other teams where the names are needing to change because, well, that's not, but you know, some of my friends, we, anyway, it was black and white. It was cowboys and Indians. There was the good and the bad, and we changed sides sometimes because they equally could be bad. But then it was also, to me, the ultimate in that day growing up, and many of you won't remember this because it's the days of John F. Kennedy, and, and it was awesome. It was an amazing days, but there was the the free enterprise, America, and then there were the commies, right? That's what they were literally called, right? There was free enterprise capitalism and freedom, thanks to America and countries like America. And then there was the Soviet Union. And, and, and they were in, in, in really in, in uh, cahoots with Fidel down in Cuba. And there was a time when it was like they were going to bomb us out of existence, 
And so these things were very black and white in the day. You know, there was good and there was evil. <laughs> and you were either on one of those two sides, and it was, it was pretty clear. And most of us were pretty good with the simplicity of that. Things have changed. Things have changed. Um, it started out as change as usual, I think, typical generation after generation, you know, being a little bit rebellious. Well, our parents, what they believed, we don't believe, right? And, and you change, and like, but, but it's been more than that. And I remember, really, I remember sitting in a theater in Toronto when the first Star Wars movie came out, and, and the, you know, the, the, the space was going out there, and the text was coming up, and that spaceship came over you. And it was, it was interesting, because it kind of began then. Something changed with that movie. And maybe you don't see it. Maybe people didn't see it. But there was, clearly, there was the dark side, right? There's Darth, right? And then over here, there's, you know, Princess Leia. And, and, and so there's, there's good versus evil, There's black and white. But wait a second. The dark side was represented by forces that were dressed in what? All white. Wait a second. It didn't seem to fit. Now, we let it go at the time because we were like, well, okay, it was creative license. We don't know what they're doing. But it changed. Slowly, things began to change. Now, we all knew that there was always um, a grayness to certain things. There were certain subjects that were gray. Uh, but there was this black and white. So the most significant area that I would suggest in the past 30 to 40 years where this, what was black and white, has completely changed is in relation to our very humanity. In relation to our humanity. Uh, there's no longer uh, any absolutes in almost every category related to our humanity. Uh, there are no sexual absolutes, certainly. Uh, there's no male and female, apparently, today. And so I get set against the sea change in our culture, as usual, is the Bible. That hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Against the sea change of culture, the Scripture is still the Scripture. And yet, even the Scripture today is seen to be, in a lot of circles, less black and white. It's not even gray. It's like what was good is now evil, and what is evil is now good. There's a sea change. It's changing. Well, the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul are going to tell us that that's just not true today. That's not true, at least in this one area. In the Christian life, there is an absolute black and white, and it is the battle that is going on between the flesh and the Spirit. There's no middle ground here. It's a battle between black and white. And so the decision that you and I have to make today, as Christians, who people who are in Christ, who, who call on the name of Christ for their salvation, we have to determine, you know, whether or not we are going to see the blackness and the whiteness for what they are, and whether or not we are going to choose good. There is actually something for us to choose in the Christian life. So there are only two paths. There are only two roads. You know that, right? Uh, the question is, which will we choose? You remember the words of Jesus? Love. He, he, listen, we all love him. He was the most beautiful teacher, the most beautiful man that ever walked the planet. But he also, in his day, was accused of being rather black and white. And these were his words in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate. So there is gate A. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. This is gate B. It's a very wide gate. 
and it's a gate that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, the majority. And then he says, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard. I didn't really, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many of us signed up for that part. But Jesus is saying that the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who look at this, find it, are few. So it's rather black and white. And so now today what Paul is going to do, the Holy Spirit wants to show us is this. It's the Holy Spirit who is the causative agent in your salvation, your justification in bringing you to faith. And he is the one who empowers us, the only one, in fact, who empowers us, who is capable to empower us to live this life today, the life that we are to want. So, so he's our justifier and he's our sanctifier. He is. He is the one. I mean, we also talk, often talk about it. Believe me, and I do this. I have it on my Facebook page and on my Instagram. I'm a follower of Jesus. We all say that. We're all followers of Jesus. We are. But the scripture actually teaches us, as we'll see today, but throughout the New Testament, that we are to choose to be like Jesus was during his earthly life, led by the Spirit, led by his Spirit. And so the challenge for you and I today that we need to see is that our greatest challenge is this. Our enemy is the flesh. This is the subject that every preacher just can't wait to get up and preach on a Sunday morning. Well, maybe not true, but it's awesome actually when we see it right. I want you to see back in Galatians 3, 3, Paul said this. When he was lamenting what was happening to these people who he loved so much back in Galatia, he said, are you so foolish Having, look, begun in the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? So look, there's a great principle that he gave then and we need to see today before we dive into our main text, and it is this. Paul establishes this really incredible point. It was the Spirit who led you to faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, not the law, not your good works, not your good personhood, right? Not you doing anything, in fact. It was the Holy Spirit of God whom Jesus promised to send to us to be our helper. So let's remember now, just for a few minutes, who he exactly is. Just in a couple of paragraphs, I want to highlight this for you. Every believer in this room, in this world today, came to faith in Christ through him, through his agency, his action. And as I said already, he is the causative agent. The Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin. He brought us to the point of repentance. Our faith was brought to life, was nurtured, was bubbled up in our hearts, not because someone asked us to come and pray a prayer and we responded. In other words, we did something, but because the Holy Spirit of God caused us to respond to the gospel message. It's him. He led us to submit to Christ as our Savior. He then began the process of regeneration. And I like the idea that he began to resuscitate us. Because we were dead in what? Our sins. And now we're brought to life. We're brought to life by him. He has given us this new life. Then at the very moment that he completed that work in you and in me, he gave life to our internal. He became the life inside of us because he took up residence inside of us. When we were baptized, the act of baptism, when we're baptized, he is the one who now brings us favorably into the family of God and places us there for the rest of our lives. He's the one who gives us our spiritual gifts so that we can bless one another, so that we can serve one another, so that we can go and make 
Jesus' name known for salvation in this world. And this is key. He also is the one who began the work of keeping us separated from our sins. I say began the work because, as we'll see today, there, there's a, a, there is a role for us to play in this. We, we, we can't just be laying back and saying, okay, you do it all. No, there's a role for us to play in this. So I want you to look at the second part of Galatians 3.3 here because it lays out the key to the Christian life. He says this. He asked rhetorically, Are you so foolish that you believe that having started your walk of faith in Jesus Christ, that now you can live this life by yourself, sanctify yourself? No, you can't. Even though there's something for you to do, you're going to need help and you're going to need the Holy Spirit's help. So this is actually a two-parter beginning today. I've I've titled it um, The Spirit-Led Life Part 1 because we're going to come back next week. We don't have time in one message to really dive into the fruits today, so we'll do more of that next week. I want to show you four things today. Number one, the Spirit-Led Life is about the walk, and today we're going to learn about the works, the fruit, and the steps. So let's look at verse 1 again under the title of the walk. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul, at this point, he's continuing from what we read and finished with last week in verses 13 and 15, where, where, 13 to 15, where he's exhorting the Galatian Christians not to think this, not to think that, okay, look, guys, yes, you're free in Jesus Christ. Thankfully, there's no more law, no more rules and regs that you have to work through in order to gain God's acceptance and approval. But guys, don't do this. Don't believe that that freedom means you're, you, you can live your life any old way that you want. That Jesus is now like on the hook that when you sin, he has to forgive you. Actually, all your sins were nailed to the cross, so now he's on the hook. And so you can go and live your life any old way that you want. Paul says, that's, that's not the way. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And he says this, if you do that, you will not fall prey to the desires of the flesh. So look, to really, to really get to the rub of this, to the nub of this today, we're going to have to look at some definitions. And for those of you who are Greeky geeks out there, you're going to like it because we're going to have to look at some Greek today, some words, and unpack them because it's very helpful to see this. There are awesome words in the Greek today that make us and help us understand this passage. So the first word I want to look at is the word walk, right? It is the Greek word peripateo. Um, and Paul, Paul loves using this word. He, he uses it throughout his epistles, throughout his letters, but it was also an incredibly a common word to be used in that day. And, and it really meant, of course, that it was a, a culture where you, know, you had wherever you wanted to go, like there was no planes, trains, and automobiles really in that day. I mean, there were donkeys, but for the most part, how did you get to where you wanted to go? By foot, right? You walked. But that wasn't the idea here. The idea here is that it's, it's a broader word, and peripateo really means and has to do with your way of life. And so every day when you get up and when you leave your home, before you leave your home, what you do, how you behave, what you eat, where you go, how you behave. So it was common in that culture. It was common. It was really more about, about it implied your character. It, it implied your, your image that you portrayed as you walked about. And it's where we get the saying today, let your walk do your talking. <laughs> it was about your way of life, peripateo, that's what it means. And so here Paul is exhorting us to let our very way of life, our day-to-day activities, actions, and interactions be led by the Holy Spirit. Not by our own will, not by our own decisions alone, but by the Holy Spirit. 
So now the second word is the word desire. It is the Greek word epithemia, um, translated in the ESV that we have here today, desire, translated in the venerable old King James Version, lust. <laughs> I remember hearing that when I, I, I was raised Catholic, and so the first time I was in a Protestant church was actually the first time I, I heard that word preached because I think in Catholicism it's banned. I don't know. But actually, you would think not. But when I, when I would hear that word, and when you hear the word lust, what is one, I mean, honestly, what is the first thing that we think about? Sex. Right? It, it, it has that connotation. And so desire is, is a slightly better translation, but even desire misses it. It kind of weakens it, actually. Lust has something to do with it, but, but it isn't about sexual desire, but even though that's what we think about it, when we hear it, that's what most of us think, that, that it's, it's about a, a sinful, about a bad thing. But you have to even ask yourself, well, where did that come from? Well, surely it didn't come from secular culture or from the world, the Roman world, the Greek world, that the idea of sex was bad. No, actually, it came from preachers who would get to passages like this, and then they would get to the words that we're going to read in a few minutes, the works part, right? And, and, and they would read that, and they go, see, sin, bad. It's the wrong idea. It gives us the completely wrong idea about this word. And so as we're going to see shortly, both the flesh and the spirit have desires or lusts. Now, wait a second. If that's true, and it is because the scripture says that, that the spirit desires, same word, epithemio, the spirit can't have bad desires, can it? No, it cannot. The spirit cannot have those things, clearly. Now, here's what the word literally means. The word literally means a deep longing for something. It, it, it's a drive in some cases that, that makes us feel like we cannot help ourselves but to do it or to go to something. It, it's, it's a consuming desire. And that's actually when it's become a problem. In the biblical sense, then, the error, the sin is this. The error or sin is this. It is an over-desire. That would be a better translation in the ESV to say an over-desire. But then, of course, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, how can that be the case? So they stick with just desire. But it's an over-desire for something that actually, in most cases, is good. I mean, who created the idea of sex? God did. God, go forth and multiply. How are we going to do that? <laughs> We're good at that at the Rock Church, aren't we? We're very good at that. But it's a good thing. And then you turn it into an over-desire and it's a bad thing. It's become bad because of what we've done with it. So now the final word, of course, is the word flesh, which comes from the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. Interesting word. And again, today, when people hear this word flesh, they typically think, well, that means my body. It's flesh, right? It's, it's my body. It's what that means. And, and on, one, on one hand, that's not too far from the idea um, that it's our bodies, uh, but it's actually, uh, it's developed, I think, an unbiblical meaning, if you think of it that way. And it's, it's, again, it's not the culture, it's not the culture who's thought that, that our bodies are inherently evil. It is people in the church who've, who've taught a very legalistic attitude towards it. And, of course, it's your body that's causing you to sin. Really? No, that is not true. And so there are lists, as we're going to get to, we'll see today shortly, and heard, you've heard this already, there are a list of sins of the flesh that, if misunderstood, would lead you and I to believe that our bodies are sinful. Not true. Our bodies were created perfect by God. 
for perfect purposes. And so our bodies are good. They're good. The truth part of it is this. The flesh part that's spoken of here is, in fact, in one sense, inside of us. But it's not this. It's not this thing that we think of our body. So then what is it? Well, in simple terms, it's this. It's our nature. It's our heart. We are, as I've said before in this series, born this way. So literally put together, this sarks is our sinful nature. It's what we're born with. So what's preventing you and I, hear this, from, from walking by the Spirit is this thing called the flesh Paul's unpacking for us today. And there's one more important point that I want us to see before we move on, it's this. I think at first blush, it may, it may appear that this battle that's going on in this world today that we have as Christians in our walk is between something inside of us and something outside of us, right? Between our sarks, between our flesh, and the Holy Spirit. Again, that's wrong. They're both inside of us. And that's actually incredibly good news. We've got the Spirit set on producing good qualities and good characteristics in us, and we have the sarks, the flesh, desiring against us to produce ungodly characteristics in us. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He's very succinct in so many ways, but he says this. Our sinful nature was there, ruling alone and unopposed before we were Christians. Now think about that. <laughs> right? Think about that. That, that. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. Before Christ, before the Holy Spirit comes to you, reveals himself to you, you are 100% and totally given over to your sinful nature. It was there. It was ruling alone. It was completely unopposed before we were Christians. And yet we think, some of us maybe still do, we weren't that bad. You know, like, like, not compared. Like, you know, I'm, I'm Jesus, yes, but just for a few little areas of my life. But no. Then he says, the Spirit, however, entered supernaturally when we first became Christians, and he's begun a renewal that is now our new nature. Now, again, I, listen. I've got the T-shirt, 25, 30 years of being a Christian, and many of you know my stories before becoming a pastor late in life and planting this church. That you know, like, I, I, you know, in my head, I got this stuff. Like, I got it. You know, yeah, I'm a new Christian in Christ. Oh, I sin. You know, like, it's just the battle was, yeah, it's my flesh, and he's there, and I, you know, like, it, it's. Listen, I hope today, I hope, pray as we go through this that the Holy Spirit will do this in every one of our minds and hearts today. Move this theoretically, from our heads to our hearts so that the new creation in Christ can take over in our bodies and in our lives. Paul goes on in verses 17 to 18 to say this. He wants to unpack it. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. That's pretty black and white, <laughs> in my estimation. For they are opposed to each other. Look at this. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So there it is again. It's black and white. Flesh and the Spirit, Spirit and the flesh, they are against each other, 
opposed to each other. There's no middle ground. There's no kind of like flesh spirit balance in my life. If I could just, you know, like, you know, God would probably be pretty good with the fact that, you know, like I believe in Jesus, trusted him, and, you know, my life would be okay. It's a little bit of, you know, bad stuff, you know, like and, and I worship Sunday, go to missional community group, you know, try to be honorable and, you know, above board and ethical in my business operations or in my life, but, you know, God's okay with a balance. Actually, Saved in Christ, I, I want to be careful how I put this. It's not that God's okay because he's not, but you're still saved. The one who's not okay is you. If you're a Christian, you're not okay with a balance. The flesh will kill you because your enemy wants to kill you. So there is no middle ground, as I said. They, they desire after completely different things, and as a result, they stand, listen, violently opposed to one another. A lot of the things that go in our lives as Christians, and I won't mention them all, but the struggles that we have are because of this battle. We think they're because of other things. We think they're because of people who don't treat us well or because we can't get our way in a certain way or God's not answering our prayers. No, it's usually because there's this battle going on. So the language clearly suggests that the Holy Spirit has desires, passions, and yearnings. But how can, is it possible that the Holy Spirit could over-desire or we could over-desire through the Holy Spirit? Well, here, listen. His desires are infinite. In, they're, they're absolutely infinite, and in an infinite way, they're good. There's no way to over-desire these things. It's unlimited infinity. So let's try to look at it this way. Let me illustrate what Paul is getting at here this way. On the one hand... Our, our, our sarks, our flesh, over-desires, glorifies really earthly, material, physical, man-made idols and saviors. That's what he points us to. That's what it points to. While the Spirit, listen, glorifies, adores, and yearns for one thing, Jesus. Not our success, not our spouse, not our children, not our job, not even our health. Jesus. First and foremost, the Spirit speaks of the beauty and greatness of Jesus. The flesh, on the other hand, seeks to glorify man and to seek self-glory. The Spirit longs to show us Christ and to conform us to Jesus. And ultimately, that is what the Christian wants too. Amen? Do ya? Do we all the time? Come on. But that's what Paul and, and the Holy Spirit is trying to encourage us to see here is today. That's actually what you do want to do. But the flesh is powerful and it's strong. It has been defeated, and I'm going to show you how. In verse 18, the last part of this, look at it just as a focus here. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. The true Christian then is led by the Holy Spirit. And here's the amazing good news about that point. There's no law for that. Okay, think about it. The law, the law, I mean, the law was given to more or less function this way, as a retaining wall to restrain, to deter you from what? Sin. But that's not so with the Holy Spirit. There's no deterrent, deterrent needed with the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit produces true freedom to all that is good, and we're free to want and have as much as that we, that we could ever want. You heard the kids singing the words that we're going to get to, right? The fruit? Is there anything of that stuff that you don't want a million percent of? We can have as much of that as we want. It's unlimited, and it's infinite. 
So that's the walk. Number two is the works. Verses 19 to 21 say this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which means plain to see. Plain to see. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. In other words, Paul's saying, I could go on. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some kind of gray? It's not. There's no sugarcoating. It's black and white. These are, my friends, these are the acts and actions of the sinful nature. Um, There's a lot of fun Greek words here, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because this is depressing stuff to focus on too much, but the number one word right up front is the Greek word. We get, we get two for the price of one when it comes to English, right? We get sexual immorality. In the Greek, it's the word pornea, where we get what? Pornography. Basically spells it all out. What it literally means in the Greek, and in that day, the way they would have heard that, they would have understood that it meant another word, like fornication, which means this, sexual intercourse between unmarried peoples. So another word for that is fornication, and if I was to bring that right up to speed to this day, I'm probably behind by at least five or six years now, but it would be hooking up, right? It would be sleeping with your boyfriend, sleeping with your girlfriend, and apparently, in a black and white way, it's a work of the flesh. It's right there. Paul gives us another list. Just to emphasize this, he gives us another list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. There are other ways that he expresses this. So it's not like to the Galatians he's going, like, i got to really lay this on heavy for you because you guys are really sinning badly and falling astray. No, this is every church, right? And he says these words, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the pornea, nor idolaters, this is interesting, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, uh, rival, rivalers pardon me, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Stop for a second. All of these are equal sins. Can I just point that out? Okay? So if you're a swindler, if you're a liar, you're a cheater, you're an adulterer, equal. Let's just be careful here, okay? As the church... They're all equal to the one that I'm sure some of you are focusing on, that it's easy for us in our culture today to focus on. He then goes on to these beautiful words, and such were some of you. I love that. It's all inclusive, kids. Every single one of us in this room has had a sin of the flesh, if not plural, here. Let's, come on. Thank you that the cross is level ground. Amen? Thank you. But look at this. You were washed. By what? The blood of Jesus Christ. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By whom? By the Spirit of God. So if you look again at the list of the Galatians, you can be broken down this way, really in four categories. There, there, are, there are sins of, uh, really of sexuality, obviously. You can see which ones those, those are. There, there are sins of uh, um, religion here. Um, there, are, there are sins of relationship here. Um, and there are sins of um, substance abuse here. Some people look at the uh, being drunk 
and, and also orgies, and they think that those are being drunk with wine or, or with, with alcohol, and then over here is sex. No, no, no. Th- these were actually drug orgies. In other words, substances abuse. And so the alcohol, the, the drunkenness also went along with uh, pharmakia, another nice good Greek word in there, which is drugs. Okay, so that's what that gets at. Secondly, and obviously this is very important, there are ominous warnings, very ominous warnings. Those who live this way, whose way of life, listen, is habitually practicing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The emphasis here is on habitually. Every Christian falls for the flesh every once in a while. Everybody does. But if it's habitual, if it's habitual for you, you should be concerned. You should be concerned about that. Point number three is the fruit. Verses 22 to 23, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, and so I, we're going to return to this next week. I want to spend next Sunday just focusing on the question, how do I receive, how do I get, how do I attain, how do I produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life? How do, how do, how do I participate in that? How do I get more of it? For today, let's see this. The word fruit is singular. The word fruit is singular. That's important. The word works was plural. It, it was plural. And so why would that be? Well, let's consider the word fruit first to start. Clearly, it's taken from the word of agriculture, right? It's taken from agriculture. And so it has metaphorical meaning in this context. And so we all know what it takes for a plant or a tree to eventually bear fruit, right? All of you guys, permaculture, you're taking the course with my wife, right? Yeah. So what has to happen? Well, the first thing that has to happen is a seed has to go into the ground and do what? Die. Thank you. Right. The seed has to go into the ground and it has to die. Germinate, sure. Scientists who are here, right? And then it takes off. It starts to grow, right? So first, a seed must go into the ground and die. Then after a little while, the plant breaks the surface of the ground and begins to grow. But it's pretty gradual, right? Every year when we plant at home and we've already started, the tomatoes go in the ground. And last year around August, I'm going to Jan going, they're not growing because, look, Pasta, tomato sauce, like I'm waiting, right? And it's slow, and it's gradual. This is how, for most of us, the Christian life begins. It's slow, and it's gradual. Some of us personally are impatient with ourselves. In most cases, it's our spouse who's impatient with us, right? Okay, I'll leave that there. Secondly, though, under healthy circumstances, the growth of the plant at some point is assured. I got to the point after the end of August, last September, we're watering, sun came out again finally, and all of a sudden the, the, the tomatoes were going nuts, right? And at that point, I had faith, and I realized, well, of course they're going to bear fruit eventually, and, and yet, in the case of God's creation, it's assured, it's guaranteed that it's going to bear fruit. It will grow and eventually bear fruit. And so, too, with the Christian, listen to me, if they are a Christian, fruit will appear, fruit will appear. Third, as the plant grows, you don't normally see this, but if a plant is growing and it's healthy and it's actually going to make it to bear fruit, it's also because something else has been going on that you don't see. Roots. Deep roots. And those roots are growing and sustained because they're being properly watered and the soil is being taken care of. That in the, work, the life of the Christian, of course, is God's word and God's people, 
in their lives. So roots, if the plant is watered, this is what happens. So the internal life of the tree is like the heart of the Christian as they mature. And so finally, and this is the answer to the question of the singular fruit, it is this. The life of the healthy tree and the life of the Christian is eventually complete. When? It bears fruit. When it bears fruit. And then what happens as it bears fruit? Seeds are born. And it starts all over again in the form of disciples of Jesus Christ. So let me give you a bit of an illustration, as a, a, just as an illustration, one before we move on to the conclusion here, of what this fruit looks like, right? Because some people kind of think like, well, yeah, I look at all these things, love, peace, joy, like, you know, like, well, I got a couple of those things happening in my life, and so like, I, I'm, I'm, I've got some fruits. No, it's, it's a singular thing. It, all of these things should be germinating and, and becoming evident in the life of a Christian, The illustration I'll give to you, my favorite one of all time, I came up with it, that's why it's so good, no, is a disco ball. I mean, seriously, have you seen those things? You ever been to, like, clubs where they have those things? Here's, the the way they work is this. There's a ball there, and it's got little tiny mirrors all over it, right? And the best ones work this way. There's three points of light. We got the Trinity here. Three points of light, right, pointing at this ball, and and then if you're you're on the dance floor, you're in the room, it's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome because if if the lights are set up right, three points of light, the Trinity, that the, the, there's... There's light going all over the room. The floor, the ceiling, it's all over the room. It's on you. It's everywhere. That's what's supposed to happen. That's the fruit of the Spirit, reflecting Christ-likeness into this world. That's actually a good image. Silly, but it's a good image of what it is. Point number four, the steps to life. Paul says this in verses 24 and 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I, I, I think these are incredibly beautiful verses. Um, they're going to lead us uh, into next week's part two Q&A on the fruit of the Spirit in a great way. And so I, I hope you'll see this. I hope you see the subject of Paul's opening sentence there. It's, it's about those who belong. Now, I thought about this this week, and, and, and I'm just going to ask you it this way. Have you recently stopped everything you were doing, everything you were doing in your day and in your walk, no matter where you were, out in the beautiful sunshine, looking at the, in the middle of a battle or whatever it might have been, and all of a sudden stopped yourself and asked yourself this question, whose life is this anyway? Who's, whose life is this that I'm living? Because here's the reality for it to go from head to heart and really change us. Is, is for us to understand this. You guys know this intellectually? I know you do. Jesus died on the cross in your place and for your sins so that you could have new life, so that he could give his spirit to you and lead you in this new life. But listen, you know it cost him something. But listen, it was also this. There was a purchase price, and you were the one, and I was the one who was purchased. It's not our life. Yeah, we've been free But now we belong to someone, and that someone is not us. But thankfully, that someone is Christ. Amen? So friends, listen, please hear this. If this doesn't thrill you, if hearing this doesn't make you so grateful for what he has done, then listen, maybe you are still thinking there's something that you had to do with your salvation or something you need to do today to earn acceptance and approval because you're not getting this. We're not getting this. You're not really free. 
So, so Krishna, listen, this is the one place in Scripture, this is one of those places in Scripture where it is true to say this, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Not to get saved, but to live the Christian life, to be holy Christian, to be whole again. You need to give it up. Give it to him. So I want you to picture this, again, a little bit of an illustration as we close. I want you to picture the cross, um, and I want you to picture it with uh, a bunch of post-it notes on there that you've actually not just stuck there but nailed there. And, and on that cross is all of your sins, all of the sins, the deepest, darkest, the ones that give you not just guilt but also a, a level of shame, and, you, and, and nail them there and, and see them nailed to that cross. And then I want you to do this. I, I want you to picture that and put it there, see them nailed there, now and for the rest of your life, if possible, but at least for this moment, see them nailed to that cross, nailed there, and then at this point, make a decision. Make this decision. I will too, because I got some. Believe me. Leave them there. Leave them there. Nailed to the cross. And, and listen. Listen. Every once in a while, as you turn around and and walk away from that cross and those things that have been nailed to it, there's going to be this temptation to look back (laughs) and and to maybe have a longing gaze at one or two of those and maybe even go back and say, hi there, how are you? Leave it there. Trust. Turn around and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. This is exactly why Jesus said these words. He said these words. This is why he said these words. When he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, die to himself or herself. And look at this. Take up his cross when? How often? Daily. And follow me. At the end of the day, what is it we need to do? Daily. Crucify the flesh. Amen? That's what we're being led to understand here today. Every day, nail it. Nail it. Leave it. Walk away from it. Walk away from it. Failing to do so will result in the loss of freedom Christ has purchased for you and a return to, listen to me, fear. A return to fear. The reason why you and I have anxiety, stress, and fear is the flesh. The reason our relationships are a mess is the flesh. The reason we have difficulty in marriage is the flesh. The reason we have destruction and dysfunction in the family is the flesh. The reason we have difficulty getting along with other people is the the flesh. The reason why we are full of pride and arrogance and obstinance and rebel against authority is the flesh. All sin, every form, all wrong emotions, attitudes, actions, reactions, all wrong thoughts, words, wrong deeds, you name it, put it all up on the wall, all come out of the flesh, out of our sinful nature. It needs to be crucified once and for all. Daily is a good start. It's a good start. So that's the first thing that you and I need to do. That's the first thing we need to do. But again, the good news is Jesus has sent us this amazing helper. He's an amazing helper. And so as you're looking back at the cross someday, at the sin that is nailed there, listen, turn around and follow the footsteps in the sand that he has laid out for you. That's what this is getting at in that final verse. It's getting at the idea that we are to keep in step. He's walking out. He's, he's got a hand behind him. He's saying, come on, let's go. I, I, I can show you where you need to go. 
and what you need to do. I can do this for you. I can do it with you. Keep in step with him. Step by step. You fall down, get back up again. Confess. Get back up again. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me, would you?